It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. G. Perico is from Los Angeles, and he's a gangster rapper. That puts him firmly in a tradition that stretches from Ice-T in the D.O.C. in the 80s, through Ice Cube and Snoop Dogg in the 90s, and on to hitmakers like The Game and YG in the 21st century. Listen to one of G. Perico's tracks, and it's hard not to hear the echoes of 30-some years of records about cruising, barbecuing, and throwing gang signs on the streets of L.A. You can't help me if you can't help yourself. I'm at the penthouse plotting on my next 10 steps. 100 million straight out the ghetto. We finally on track, now it's time to hit the pedal. Can't look back, gotta keep kept. Time going by, but I keep crip. Perico is a master stylist. His nasal voice cuts up heavy beats. His lyrics are by turns playful and brutal. Sometimes they're both in one song. I'm all alone talking to G.O.D., he raps on one lonely track. And if he want to do business, then it's C.O.D. He's a trickster with a gun in his waistband and the weight of the world on his shoulders. G. Perico was born Jeremy Nash. He grew up in south-central L.A. His life was hard. He grew up in the kind of neighborhood where, broadly speaking, you either had friends who were in gangs or you didn't have friends. He's been arrested. He's been to the youth authority, to jail, and to prison. He's been shot at, and he's been shot. He raps about the L.A. that he grew up in. There are cookouts and car shows, and there is always danger around the corner. I'm running out of time here. If you don't get life, then you get murdered and die here. But somehow I survive here. 365 round here is like a dog year. Feel like I'm running out G. Perico broke through in 2016 with his album Don't Stop. That record established him at the vanguard of L.A. street rap. In the five years since, he has recorded nine albums. Yes, nine, including four this year. The latest is called Play to Win. Here's a single from it called Spaz. Spazzed out, the homie pulled his gat, then he blacked out, clapped out, jumped in his bins, then he smashed out, crashed out, them CAXM car tags out, she always talking about these millions, always step out, cash flow, if you ain't got it, you'll go flat broke, you blew all the money, what the fuck you do that for, Mastro's, want the butter cake and the wagyu, I ain't got it to it, my little n****s a pack, you initiated, got my hood tatted, it's a brick, G. welcome to Bullseye, it's great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I think this you're, is great. you're the first one rapping about butter cakes on wax, putting down the butter cakes versus. <laughs> I believe, yeah, I think so. I've never heard that. The butter cake is amazing. You like butter cake? Uh, you know what? Like an okay butter cake is fine, but a good butter cake, you're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever eaten in my yes, life. Yes, definitely. That's so true. That is so. I made a butter cake out of a Cook's Illustrated recipe book or a Cook's Country recipe book, like How'd a it come s- out? Southern Favorites. Was hella good. Okay. Was hella good, G. That's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good yeah, cake. I, lo- I love butter cake, man. <laughs> and I'm not big on sweets. So anybody that know me know, like, if I'm talking about sweets, I love it. Okay. So tell me about, you're from Los Angeles where we're sitting right now. Yes. Tell me where in Los Angeles you're from. Like South Central, the east side of South Central. So basically, on the other side of the 110, east of the 110. That's a very Los Angeles thing to specify where you live relative to the different freeways. (laughs) (laughs) The freeways pretty much, I think the 110 freeway pretty much divides South Central because it runs. That's like the South Central freeway, basically. And it divides 
not from a technical standpoint, but just from, you know, just how everybody look at things. It divides the east side and the west side. Now, if you want to get technical, one more block separates the actual city, but, you know, we use the 110 as reference. What were the distinguishing things about the neighborhood that you grew up in? What was different about your neighborhood than two over or two up or um, whatever? Honestly, I mean, the only thing different would be the individuals because, uh, you know, Los Angeles, uh, the culture is the culture. It covers the whole, what an inner city of Los Angeles, you know, South Central, Compton, Watts, all of that. The culture is similar for blocks and blocks and blocks. The only difference is the, the individuals. You know what I mean? Who did you grow up with in your family? I actually grew up, I'm a granny's kid, you know, 80s baby. I was born in 88, so a lot of us grew up under grandma. I think to this day, like, a lot of, like, black kids grow up with their grandmother. And, um, you know, my mom's was around a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Well, I'm not even going to say a little bit. My mom's was around. She was just being her, you know what I mean? And then my pops was in and out of jail. So I had a stepdad, you know what I mean? I'm a stepchild. I'm like, I honestly feel like the um, Cinderella story, you know what I mean? Because I was like, when you look back at it, when I was going through it, it wasn't bad. But when I look at it, I'm like, damn, they used to really treat me like <laughs> What do you mean when you say that? Like, my step-pops used to talk to me crazy, man. Like, he was just—I I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt in every situation. You know what I'm saying? So, because I used to be, like, so zoomed in. And if I'd have stayed that way, I'd just be angry at everybody. I wouldn't be getting nothing done with my life. So, uh, zoom out a little bit and just look at the situation from a whole. All right, he's a dickhead. What made him a dickhead? You know what I'm saying? Even though he's grown and he should know better, but it's like— I prefer to just give people the benefit of the doubt so I won't be running around angry trying to kill everybody. You know what I'm saying? What was your grandmother's name? Uh, Bonnie. Bonnie Gwendolyn Stanley. What was she like? 32848. The sweetest, greatest person to walk the earth. She was awesome. Like, you know what I mean? She loved me to death. That was like the only person that I know that uh, that for sure loved me to death no matter what. And had my back for sure, without a doubt. You know what I'm saying? Never gave me any reason to question her. You know what I mean? And um, a lot of stuff she instilled in me, like, it went away for a while. While, you know, the street life, you know, you turn into a different person. But um, I'm happy she did because now it's coming back. You know how they say coming full circle. You know what I mean? Just a lot of love she gave me is um, starting to pour back out of my heart you know what i'm saying and um i think if i wouldn't have had her i'd be terrible like how i just said i zoom out and i just look for the good and the it or even if it's bad we see why or even in situations i'm involved in that don't go right i don't go straight to pointing fingers you know what i'm saying i just well maybe let me see what i did wrong even if it was the other person like you up all the way all right let me just assume responsibility for that because I accepted you in this situation anyway. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, she gave me a lot of that. I know that you went to school at least partly outside the neighborhood, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. For, uh, like, I would say more than partly about 70% of my schooling was outside of, outside of my hood. Was that different than 
other kids you knew. Yeah, that was a. It was honestly a blessing. I hated it at first. I cried and everything. Like, no, please. But it was like the best thing that they could have did for me. How old were you when you started? I think it was like third grade or something like that. Third or fourth grade. I came home and then my granny and them like, uh, yeah, you're not going to school around here no more. You're going to. I'm like, no, nah, please, my friends. Whoop. And um, like ultimately, like that was the that was the best thing because uh, like it just taught me how to deal with with other races, other uh, cultures, how to communicate with people, you know, and how to just step outside of the box. A lot of my friends that that didn't get that opportunity, they still haven't left. They don't leave that 10, 20 block radius. That's my hood. They don't leave that at all unless they're going to jail or going out to do something. And then if you run into them at one of my shows or, you know, like that or anywhere, they gonna look out of place, like man, what you doing outside of the block? So I think that was like the man. I thank my granny and my mom for that. You know what I mean? Where were you going when you were in third grade? I was going to uh, West Side Leadership. I think it's called West Side Alternative now. It's like a block. It was sand on the playground at the school, so it's literally like one block away from the beach. You know what I mean? All the way up Washington and Pacific. So it's like, I think that would be considered like Playa del Rey, Marina del Rey, that beach. And then maybe about a half a mile or not even a half a mile was Venice Beach. So uh, I went there and then we dropped off. So the school bus would pick me up. We would drop off kids at Venice High School, Mark Twain, and another school. I forgot the name of it. But it was like four schools on my school bus that was coming from that area. I mean, that's a completely different world i mean that's like a very different world from where i live you know what i mean like i'm out on the i'm out on the west side by the beach four times a year yeah <laughs> you know what i <laughs> yeah, mean yeah. yeah like going out there every day it, it's a it's a big difference was it kids from all over yeah. la or yeah it was kids from all over and um and the crazy part like i bump into a lot of people that went to school there and they doing like spank from Trap Kitchen. You ever heard of Trap Kitchen? They got like a gang of food trucks. They real important out here to the food culture. You know what I mean? And he went to school with me. And we was both bad as hell, but he's doing great stuff in life. I'm doing great stuff in life. And I'm not going to say it was solely based on that school, but I know that experience taught us both how to, you know, think outside the box and say, you know, F it. We're going to go for what we know. You know what I mean? I grew up in the city and went to school in the suburbs for middle school and had a great experience generally with, with my peers, even though they were in pretty different social circumstances than me. Yeah. But one of the things I remember most vividly is when my friends from school would come to visit me. And, you know, like I, I had a perfectly nice apartment and everything, you yeah. know, I wasn't going hungry. Right. But one of my most vivid memories is a friend who came to visit me, and we were walking to the ice cream place, and we're like 12. And he turned to me and he said, Jesse, is this a bad neighborhood? (laughs) 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 And I was like, like, what's crazy is the thought that I had in my head 
was like, no, no, that's like three blocks that way. Can you not tell right. the difference? Right. <laughs> now, this is a good, this is a safe one, and then that one is a little dicey. You got to really hold your head up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Did anybody ever come home with you, like after school? Yeah, I did have a lot of friends from um from school that used to come. Man, it was this white dude. Actually, he got the same name as me. His name was Jeremy, and um I used to go to his house. And another, I had another friend named Mark that stayed on Lincoln. So we used to go to his house. They used to come to my house, but it was like. They never stayed. Like, they mom would come, hang out a little bit, talk to my uh, granny, you know what I mean? And um, we would just play video games and stuff like that. But uh, we never we never spoke on that. I guess because they already knew what it was. Like, man, it looked crazy around here. You know what I mean? Even though, to me, it wasn't bad, you know? But, um, you know, the difference was obvious from when I go to their house. They live by the beach, you know what I mean? Um and we'd do different events. Like, we used to go, uh, I was into sports, so we used to play basketball. We used to run 5K uh, races. You know what I mean? I used to cheat all the time. <laughs> Cheating on a 5K. Yeah, I, I used to cheat. <laughs> Cut across. You're like, yeah, I won the turkey trot again, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then I had friends that was in the same situation as me. Like, one of my friends... uh Sammy, we call him K-Swiss. He's Ethiopian, and he lived in the jungles. And the jungles is like a notorious area for gangs and crime and all of that. And, um, man, he used to just walk through there like he owned the jungles. You know what I mean? And he ended up joining a gang like me. He actually in jail right now. He on the way home. But, um, but he's super smart, man. That's the thing. Like, a lot of people that, that get into these gangs, like... Like, not everybody is just, like, can't read and is not smart. Like, it's a lot of highly intelligent individuals, but just the path and their direction is is pointed the wrong way. You know what I mean? It's like a lot of people that could be running Fortune 500 companies and and just doing great stuff in the world, but, you know, the influence is not there. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people from that area, not to get off subject, but a lot of people from that school— were just like just highly gifted you know what i mean a lot of people were doing great stuff a lot of people you know how it go you know what i mean how old were you when you got involved in the system so i, I went to jail the first time my mom came and picked me up i was 13 resisting arrest and that was like the hook which hooked me in and i was basically hooked all the way in until a couple years like two three years ago so from 13 to 30, just on a hook. What happened when you got arrested when you were 13? So I was leaving school. I just got into a, did I get into a fight? I think I got into a fight or some. It was something super dramatic while we left. We leave. One of my homies got a gun on him, and I know he got a gun on him. So we get, the school police try to stop us. So I do a... You know, just from hearing my older homies and watching movies and shit, I do a uh, basically a smoke screen. I throw a fit, try to take off running, thinking that he going to get loose and get away. He just stood there. So, I mean, I, I got a whole case for nothing, like, if he was just going to stand there. So I was basically trying to um, help him get away, and um, I guess he didn't catch on. 
and he went to jail also. My mom came and picked me up, but I ended up being on probation for that, and that was just the beginning of, you know. Did you go to, you know, Juvie, the Youth Authority, or did you go yeah, to jail? Yeah, I did everything. I've been everywhere, yeah. So from, from the juvenile all the way to the penitentiary, all of the, it's crazy. And then people would never know. What did you tell your grandma when you were 13? And what did she tell you? So initially, you know, I could do no wrong in my granny eyes. So initially I was playing on that. You know what I mean? Like, I ain't, I'm not doing nothing, granny. Lying. I don't know if she believed it, but she wanted, like, I'm her baby. You know what I'm saying? And um, when I end up in camp, I end up in camp like a year later and just came clean. I got the gang tatted on me, granny. I've been out here doing this and that at a visit. Like, I don't know, like, my, everything was just weighing on me and while I'm in camp. And I'm like, when they come, I'm going to just tell her. She's like, oh, my God, have you killed anybody? Ooh. I'm like, no, I, I ain't killed no, I ain't hurt nobody. But, uh, yeah, I came clean. And, um, you know, that was probably, like, the best thing that I did because she was – stressed about it but it took like a lot of pressure like okay he kind of like asking for this and he know how to handle himself you know what I mean I didn't want to worry about me so I just I just came clean and then plus like when you're doing stuff like that you do want to be in tune with the people that love you and you know that they're gonna come get you and do anything for you like the best thing to do is to be honest you know what I mean so they'll understand what's going on and how to approach the situation and how to deal with it you know what I mean you were talking about zooming in and zooming out. Was there a point when you were a teenager, you know, you'd already been in and out a little bit, when you kind of lost the thread of caring about the consequences? Oh, definitely. That whole entire time, I didn't, I didn't care about anything. Like, my influences around that time when I was growing up, my influences from 13... Like, my direct influences. Before that, I had been seeing the older homies and watching them from afar. And they had kids my age, and I'd be playing with them. But, like, around 13, like, bro, all my influences were, like, serious, hardcore criminals, killers. People that, back then, like, you'll go, you'll kill somebody and get seven years for it. So, around this time, 01, 02, around, off up in there, like, a lot of my homies from the 90s, was just getting out for murders. They was just getting out of youth authority from doing seven years for murders. So these is my influences. You know what I mean? People basically telling me, like, you know, if you're not active, then, you know, you out. And who want to be out? You know what I mean? So if you're not doing all of this criminal so I just became fully engulfed in the criminal lifestyle and the criminal aspect of not caring about anything, like, that version of me, I'm, I would be scared of him. Like, and I look like a innocent little small, cute kid, but just pure trouble. You know what I mean? And I was smart and understood everything, but you know the influence just led me, and, and just wanting to be a part of something just led me to not caring about anything. Like to kind of like going to jail and, and and being a writer is what we call it was like the the goal. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that you're like, you, you're not a huge dude. No. Um, I'm sure you were skinnier when you were 
a teenager. There's this DJ Quick lyric that that goes, I ain't no big buff dude, I'm a rap, rap singer. singer. <laughs> Exercise one muscle. Look, you hear my strap finger? You hear that click? Boy, I got arthritis in that thing. <laughs> but I mean, that is like sometimes when you're a littler dude, like you have the choice to either try and hide or just be a little more wild. Right, and that was my option. My option was to be the most wildest because I, I, I was never big, but I mean, you know, going in and out of jail, I, I was kind of like muscular, but still skinny, strong and muscular, but still skinny and small, short. And, um, you know, for people to take me serious. I, and, and then I was like a handsome, pretty boy dude. You know what I mean? So I had to wild out and, and just do a lot of irrational things. I want to play a song from L.A. Summers, which is one of the EPs that you put out this year. Yeah. It's called Today. Today. Yeah, I've been grinding. He was a little kid. I was outside slide. Jumping out of Honda Civics with pistols. Had a 22, but I treat it like a missile. Pray for all the troops that's missing. Stuff this rap game. I ain't the fear to be dissing. I'm paranoid, so I got the click boom pow. Just say I'm cute, but I don't ever smile. I'm always in my rear view when I'm in the street. Can't let a gig enough forget to drop on me. I got property. I speak properly. Remember the last time you have a, you have a verse. I think it's on that song where you say that you still have hate in your heart for uh, the dudes from the other side. And then you say that your, your, I think it's your childhood still got you traumatized. Yeah. And I found that verse very moving. Because it's a song, you know, like it, it, the verses take the form of like a, you know, a gangster rap record, you know, it's about how ready you are, but it's also kind of a memory song. Maybe it's the yeah. beat and it's about not being able to let go of looking over your shoulder. Of course. Which is like the simplest <laughs> description of PTSD, right? Like yeah. it's like when you're traumatized, your body lives the trauma, whether or not you're in the trauma or not at that moment definitely you know you're in your 30s now is that something that you still feel definitely man it's um just because this situation and what's been going on is nothing new so when i was a little kid it was homies my age already that already been through the the ringer and some of them was doing like great in life and still got killed you know what I mean? So me knowing that and understanding that, like, it's it's never safe, you know? And past experiences, like, when you see people get killed or you've been shot or next to somebody that's been shot up, like, it's... All of it is, like, for really no reason. Like, when you think about it, it's like we could have just had a conversation or if we couldn't have came to a conclusion, we could have just stayed away from each other. You know what I mean? But it got out of hand, so... And that's the wartime, you know what I mean? And and just to, just seeing that and being a part of that is definitely in the back of my head. Like, man, it's at any given time, it's even when I'm in traffic, like I can't when I'm driving. I'm so paranoid when I drive and shot in the car before. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, PTSD at at its best. You know what I mean? We've got even more with G Perico still to come. After the break, he'll tell us about the time he spent 15 months in jail and what he learned on the inside. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. 
Somewhere between science and superstition, there is a podcast. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. That thing is not my daughter. And I want you to tell me there's a show where the hosts don't just report on French science and spirituality, but take part themselves. Well, there is, and it's Ono, Ross, and Carrie on Maximum Fun. This year, we actually became certified exorcists. So yes, Carrie and I can help your daughter. <laughs> or we can just talk about it on the show. Ono, Ross, and Carrie on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with G. Perico. He's a rapper born and raised in South L.A. He's profoundly prolific. This year, he released four records. This track on a Sunday is from one of those, L.A. Summers. I'm in a blue Chevrolet, snap top, super hot, new C8. That's all I need in this world of sin. Sunday night riding out with a click. Hitting hard on 10. Dupree got a girl coming through. Tell her bring friends. We pulling up and vest like twins. All these potholes in traffic almost cracked my rim. Slid up Broadway. There was a point when you were in your late teens that you went to jail for, uh, I think it was 15 months. And it was, a, it was a, I think, a gun charge, right? Yeah. And it was just possession because you had been in the system before. You were like in an apartment with a, that had a gun in it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was that time that you went to jail? Ended up oh, being man. 15 months. I was only supposed to do four months. <laughs> but I was I was just cutting up. Like, you got to make a name. It's like when it's juvenile, nothing makes any sense. It's all out of... The only thing that makes sense is chaos. The only thing that gets respect is chaos. The only thing that, that people be like, hey, yeah, you know, uh, whoop-de-whoop. Yeah, man, he hard. He a rider. Whoop-whoop. Is being dumb. So that was just me being just dumb and ignorant, like just acting out, fighting, not listening, just trying to act tough and show out and, you know, trying to get people to pay attention to me, crying out for attention and trying to make a reputation, basically. And yet I, that was one of my experiences, man. I was terrible, man. But, uh, you know, that's what makes the story. At what point then did things feel like that could be something different? At what point did you manage to pull some perspective? I think I always had common sense, but it was just uh, nothing to look towards. You know what I mean? And then um, my homies had a studio. And, um, you know, I've always been great in English, like reading excellent I be the one kid that raises his hand to read every time, and I'm just having fun reading. You know what I mean? That was me and uh, writing stories and poems and everything. So, you know, I always excelled in um, just painting pictures and and art also. And uh, my uncle had a studio when I was little, so I grew up around it. So, and the crazy thing, I didn't follow his lead. Like, I followed the ignorant, crazy, the homies lead, and... um. You know, my homies had a studio, and it was a few people that I admired from the area that was rapping, and they was gangsters too. You know what I mean? And um, I was like, "Damn, I want to, I want to do that," but I never took it serious. And then the opportunity came where, like, everybody either gave up, quit, went to jail, 
or start doing other stuff. Like, you know how to, when you're chasing a dream or a goal and then you get to that point where reality set in, it's like, all right, do you really want to go through the hardship and the struggle of this? Or do you want to just take the easy route? And, you know, for a lot of street dudes, it's like, bro, I'm not sacrificing nothing. Like, and not realizing that you really are sacrificing something when you don't go after the dream because you're doing street stuff. You're going to go to jail. You're going to waste years. And, you know, my homies that didn't sacrifice, it's 10 years later now. And they looking like they trying to start over now. But It um, harder, gets harder and harder to catch right. up, I think. So at one point, everybody had went away from the studio. And it was just, initially, I was just a kid that was, nah, you can't come in here. You'd be tripping. You're doing this and that. To now, is nobody there. I'm in there rapping and rehearsing. And um, like I knew it was something that I wanted to do. And that was kind of like the light on the tunnel for me, but I was still, you know, cutting up. But like, yeah, when all my homies that was rapping went away, either quit, got jobs, decided that they don't want to deal with the struggle of it and gave up, didn't have a vision. Uh, that's when I stepped in and, um, and I started seeing things different. And then also it was, it was a, just like multiple things because, you know, people was getting killed. Like, my friends getting killed, my friends getting life. Also, like, drugs, people losing their mind from drugs or people getting strung out. You know, basically, we was just, everything started happening early, like, early 20s. Like, people was turning into their parents because, you know, we come from the crack era. Like, I was watching my homies turn into dope fiends, like, or getting stuck forever or... Like, man, I'm not doing this no more. I'm cool. We used to call them suckers. But that was actually smart. Like, bro, I'm cool on a life. You know what I mean? That was like, now when I look back in hindsight, man, it was the strongest people. Because they decided in their mind, like, I don't care what y'all think. I'm about to live my life. So just a lot of that was going on. You know what I mean? And, um... Yeah, the studio, the studio was calling me, but I just couldn't shake the criminal element. Were you already writing verses? Were you writing verses yes. when you were a teenager? Yes. Like, I always, man, I got notebooks from the 90s, man, where I was writing poetry and whatever was on my mind. Like, it sounds crazy now, but, like, I always been into that. Like, that was, like, kind of like my escape from everything. Like, I'll be writing stories about stuff that didn't have nothing to do with nothing. Just, you know. I But I never I never had the, the confidence or the courage to tell any of my peers about this. Like it's just like the tough bravado, what we doing, you know what I mean? And um when I finally did record something, man, everybody went crazy. And um the same place that I was trying to prove something to and get accepted to, they uh embraced it. You know what I mean? And just gave me the confidence. So, like, I think my hood kind of, like, did, like, a few things for me. Like, it, it sent me on a spiral, crazy path, and then also gave me the confidence to do what I'm doing now. You know what I mean? To say, F it, let me go and do what I do. Have you written anything today? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Are you going to write about, like, looking out of our office window at that at the Definitely. lake in the fish truck? Definitely. It's crazy you say that. So what I learned how to do over the years 
is because I'm a real visual artist. So what I learned how to do is uh, my experiences from the day. I'll write a few of them down and it'll either turn into a story or it'll turn into a rap song. You know what I mean? So, yeah, the fish truck, hearing about that, looking out at the lake, MacArthur Park, just all the dope toys that y'all got, the bathroom, the pictures in the bathroom, the Wu-Tang lotion, like all of that, you know what I'm saying? It's like, just help me create, you know what I mean? And I just mix it with, you know, the lifestyle that I've once lived and that I live now, you know what I mean? It's just a big gumbo pot. We do have some... Wu-Tang-themed hand moisturizer in the bathroom. And I was taking... That's what took me so long. I'm popping it. I had to just unscrew it and get some up out of there. Cream rolls everything around me, (laughs) I think, is the theme of that. Yeah. When did you lose your grandmother? August 2010. So you were about 20 or so? I was 22, 21, 21 or 22. So that's right around that same time that you were trying to figure out whether you could be an artist. Right, right. So that was, uh, you know, I've been doing stuff previously, but my confidence wasn't all, all the way there. Around that time, I would never rap in front of anybody or even say that I rap, but I got all these notebooks full of raps. Did your grandma know about that stuff? Yeah, so my grandmother, so the, the crazy part is uh, she had a friend named Vic, and I don't know the dynamics or the, what their relationship was exact. I don't know if they was dating, friends, or I don't know. But um, he had a studio in Compton. And um, she wanted to keep me out of trouble. And she knew that I'd be writing. Like, she know, she know me. Like, I didn't even have to tell her. And um, she wanted to keep me out of trouble. So I basically made a promise to her to instead of being in the hood all day after school or whatever I was doing to go um, go mess with him like two days out the week. So I was in a group called the Wild Bunch back in the day. Nothing never came out, but they basically he basically taught me how to record and how to project my voice and how to get how to ride the beat and everything you know what i mean he was like man your vocals need to sound like this and this and that so you know i got a lot of my um basic structure from something that my granny set up but again i I still wasn't confident in that for some reason because it's like all my homeboys like man f rap we doing this like we in the streets we getting money we hustling we you know what i mean just doing all the ignorant stuff so yeah, after she died, I'm like, I was so mad that I wasn't on it then just to so she could have something. Like, she know I was smart and have, like, but just at least have something to be proud of me about. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I think between that and my daughter being born and then just, like, my whole life just, when she died, like, or while she was sick, my whole life was just shifting into a place that I didn't know where it was going. You know what I mean? I just accepted everything and said, whoever whoever don't like it, oh, well. Whoever like it, that's what I'm going to focus on. You know what I mean? So that's been my motto. Do you remember what the first verse was that you put down with the intention of, like, this is going to be a record? I'm going to try and sell this to somebody? Nah, I wish I I wish I remember. I've been seeing a lot of people that remember their first rap and everything. I don't, bro. Like, I remember the song, though. I played it. I remember I said something... Um, Something to the effect of me 
saying the story when I joined the gang and around the time and what the summertime was like. So it was like a real vivid thing. Let me take you back when everything changed. It was something to that effect. And um, like my homeboys went crazy. And, and it, to me, it wasn't even that dope. Like my homeboy Snook, like one of my best friends, him and his brother was him, his brother, and then my boy Duran. His brother is is uh no longer with us, Pooh. But them was like my main guys, man. When I played the CD for him, he took it and just ran out the spot and just went all through the hood making everybody listen to it. So that was basically like the birth of um, like me um, stepping outside of my shell. It was so uncomfortable. And then now, that's what made me learn how to embrace the uncomfortable moments because that's when like something changed and something great is finna happen. So... Like, when things get uncomfortable, I learn to love that part of the process. Like, when everything is going fine and perfect, I'm like, oh. But then when it gets uncomfortable and tough and I'm not sure about it, not that I'm not sure about it, but I just don't, I don't know what's going to happen next. I know something good is about to happen. I love that part of every process. So that's why I try to... um you know, keep doing something new, you know what I mean, just to stay uncomfortable because that's when I know I'm growing, you know? I want to ask you a silly question if I can. So you're sitting in front of me, and you, you've got a baseball cap on, and underneath it looks like you have some braids there. Yes, sir. Um, but you have demonstrated some pretty serious hairstyles over yes. the years. yes. I love hair, man. <laughs> Not least of which is particularly glistening loose curl yeah. that you wore for quite a while. Yeah. Like a shoulder length-ish loose curl. Yeah, that was that's my uh that's my MO, man. Like so I had a homeboy named Lil Roach. Killer Roach. Like he was old enough to be my dad. Like his son is my age. I think his son is a year older than me. But he was like always youthful, young. People think I'm related to him, too. Like, we look alike. But, like, man, I admired this dude so much, man. He had, like, all the cars, girls. He was small like me, but he was, like, stocky when he take his shirt off. He had jokes. I never seen anybody disrespect him. Like, he was just, like, an awesome person. And um, he had a curl. He used to wear the curl sometimes. And, um... I used to pattern myself after him, my whole entire everything from the hood, like, after him. So, like, I always wanted to, you know, have a curl like that. And um, he died, and then I said, F it, I'm about to just grow up. A lot of people say Easy e DJ Quick, but, like, they were, like, pop icons and rap icons, but that's not who I saw personally and inspired me on a day-to-day like it was people like my homie Lil Roach my homie Lil Boney Rock had a curl my homeboy Sinbad used to have the hair rollers that's why I do that like these was my influences these was like my father figures like people that I wanted to be like so I just felt like I was just carrying on something and representing them and they loved it you know what I mean at some point no matter what you know how like, you get older, but you still want to impress your parents. You know what I'm saying? That's what a lot of stuff that I do is because, you know, my older homies was, like, really like my parents growing up. You know what I mean? For good and ill, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. One time I asked Quick about his hair, 
And he was talking about one time he toured with Drew Down, the rapper from the Bay Area. And um, Drew Down, dope artist. Great, great. I just found out that his dad is Bootsy, Bootsy Collins. Collins. Yeah, I just found that out this week. Anyway, he told me he toured with Drew Down one time, and he said there was just women jumping on stage to touch his hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get that too. Especially when I got my curl. Oh my God, bro. Like city that like never fails. Like I don't even gotta be I could have the dustiest outfit. If I got my face shaved and my curl down, man, they passing out. Like, can I please, can I touch it? So many different artists and R and B people and just I remember I was in a um was I at a um holiday party? But I caught Beyonce pointing at me and laughing, like giggling. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay. But everybody like loves it. You know what I mean? Like, especially the females. There's a line on one of the songs from your record from 2016, which I guess we'll have to bleep the name of on the radio. But uh, don't stop. Where you say, "Young King doing me with my." up teeth <laughs> straight up <laughs> every time i hear that i'm like pumping my fist in the car yeah bro it's like i embrace what would naturally make you insecure because it's it's like it's me like hate it or love it like it's it's people that's gonna you know not like it but we're not focused on them like the people that love it we're gonna we're gonna embrace them back we're gonna show love to them and it's gonna spread like that you know what i mean so like just all my imperfections and flaws, like, it's not nothing that I hide from. You know what I mean? Because you'll be hiding from yourself, and then life just sucks like that. Like, And that's not something that I picked up from myself. It's something that I picked up from watching other people. Like, they just limit themselves from, from the world and so many different things just based on... Uh, um. Yeah, my tooth is chipped. I don't want to, I can't do this, and I can't sit in front of this because of this, and I can't do that, and I can't do that. And, I, you know, I just vow to just never be a person like that, especially being the fact that I spent so many years of my life holding back, holding myself back from trying to belong to something that was so small that had the ceiling, like I was already standing on the ceiling of the lifestyle that I was in. I'm already standing on top of it, and I'm reaching back down. So, you know, flaws and all, man, I'm gassing. Let's hear a song from my guest G. Perico and his 2016 record, uh, S. Don't Stop, and this is the title track. Hey. So, G, I want to ask you about the sounds of your records, yeah. right? So, we're here in Los Angeles. You know, a few years ago, there were there were some big national hits with a sort of particular aesthetic that DJ Mustard brought yeah. to the table. And there, you know, there's a, there's a sort of G-Funk sound that is carried through L.A. 
since it was new in 1991 or whatever, Um, you know, 25, 30 years, just as there's, you know, rappers in New York who are, you know, basically rapping over Pete Rock beats in, in 2020. And you've gone a few different directions with your sound. You know, one of the things that struck me about L.A. Summers is I'm like, this dude is rapping about gangster stuff. Over jazz. Yeah, I'm like, that sounds like a Brian Jackson loop. And then I'm like listening to it and you finish rapping the beat flips and there's Gil Scott Heron. And I'm like, oh, it actually was Brian Jackson. Yeah. (laughs) So tell me about like what you're trying to do with your sound because it's not just the straight old school L.A. thing. It's not the new L.A. hitmaker thing. I'm happy, bro. I appreciate you so much for that because this is why I stopped doing interviews too because the average person is just like not even check out anything and just look at the look. So they'll look at the curl and then the, the you know the style of dress and then classic West Coast, DJ Quick, Easy E, G-Funk, you know, without even diving in. But um, yeah, my whole thing is... um. Like, I love timeless music, and I just love music in general. So, like, Gil Scott Heron, man, I love him. Uh, Roy Ayers, love him. Frankie Beverly, Sade, uh, Michelle, and I don't and know. And yeah, past yeah. guest on this show. Yeah. She's a cool lady. Um, Karen Willer, Soul to Soul, Prince. Like, this is, this is music that I listen to on a daily I just turn my YouTube on and click one song and it'd play all of these because it's programmed that way. And then on the other hand, I listen to the the Cash Money's, Lil Wayne, Juvenile, Game, YG, just all of this. So I got a few different things that I excel at as far as creating music. You know what I mean? And this year I wanted to just make that clear like i can excel in a few different areas you know what i mean i could do the turn up but it's a little bit different from the typical what's going on and then i can do the smooth which is a little bit different from the typical and that is what creates the progressive street music that i'm going for but my whole thing from the intro has always been um you know if people zigging i'm a zag you know what i mean and it's I think there's room for everything in the game. And I also feel like like not enough people um distinguish themselves. Like, you know, I could I could easily make a uh, like a typical song and hit and be all over the radio, but that's not my goal. My goal with the whole music and the whole reason that I'm doing this, initially it was to or right, I don't have anything else. I'm trying to get out the streets. You know what I mean? And then now it's like it's more of a purpose. And my I feel like my purpose for music and then the reason why I choose certain things and just go so aggressively with it is because I'm for sure confident that if not now, like later, I will influence a whole entire generation. And it'll be people like in like a college course breaking down my lyrics that's why i make sure that it's visual i make sure that it's about a story and and that we're going somewhere and um 
even with the dressing, not to get off subject, but like when I came out, you know, my favorite color is red. You know what I mean? I love wearing red. And I used to have an issue with that growing up where I'm from because it's Crips. And the color for Crips is blue. Yeah. So that had a lot to do with me acting out and trying to assume my own identity in that world. You have a like, tattoo on your forearm. I was just looking at that's red, that's exactly. red in color and says blue. Yeah, exactly. So when I start coming out, you know, I wear red. I like to wear all the latest fashion. But at the time, it was a lot of blood rappers out. And then everybody was fashionable. So, you know, what did I do? They zig and I zag. I went back to wearing all blue and then just dressing like a hood rat to establish myself and uh, distinguish myself in this game. We'll wrap up with G. Perico after a quick break. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. From the internationally acclaimed creators of Who Shot Ya comes the movie podcast Maximum Film. Starring producer and film festival programmer Drea Clark as a woman bound by passion. I saw this eight months ago on the festival circuit. And I loved it. Film critic Alonzo Duralde as a man corrupted by greed. Why watch one Hallmark Christmas movie when I can watch seven? And comedian Ifiwadiwe as a man protecting a love that society simply won't accept. I think Pacific Rim is a perfect movie. And if you can't accept that, then I want you out of my life. From the makers of the movie podcast, Who Shot Ya? comes Maximum Film. That's right. We changed the name of our show to Maximum Film. But don't worry. We're still a movie review show that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. So tune in to Maximum Film at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with G. Perico. He's a rapper from South Central who's worked with Freddie Gibbs, Kamasi Washington, and E-40, among many others. He's released four records this year, the most recent of which is called Play to Win. Let's get back into our conversation. I think one of the most distinctive things about your rapping is that you are about as good as anyone in the world at talking mess. You know, like one of my favorite rappers of all time is uh, Sugar Free, who's a rapper from Pomona. Sugar Free is my ultimate. And like Sugar Free, like I will say, Sugar Free raps a lot about pimping, which I find to be morally reprehensible uh, as a thing in the real world. Yeah. Um, But it's tough to top the different things he thinks of to say. And I'll say that like when I'm at home chopping vegetables for a soup, or whatever inside my head is going. You know, you you have a verse on that uh, record we were just talking about with the swear word in the name that goes like, uh, "I'm a hustler, player, gangster, baller. Why do your mama want me to call her?" Right, facts. <laughs> I think about that while I'm like making soup. <laughs> ah, that's amazing, man. <laughs> that is amazing. I just imagine that in your notebook. There's just like one page that just has at the top of it, great that I thought of to say. <laughs> so I write that down. <laughs> yeah. I actually, you know what's crazy too? So outside of writing, I got a separate phone now. And my, my girl, she hate it. Like, she think it's like something different going on. But it's where I keep a lot of the ideas. So when I'm in, when I don't have time to sit there and write, I just record. And I say it. Or whatever it is, whatever the conversation, I say it in my phone and I and, and I keep it like that. So, 
years, you know, just all day just collecting lines, collecting. I just call it collecting data. You know what I mean? All day. I want to play one more of my guest G. Perico's singles from this year. And there's been a bunch of them because he's got, I think, four records out this year. Six. Six? Okay, thank you. Something like that. Seven. This song is called Talk About It. From the pen to the streets, straight to the hood, same day I got released. Dug up my money, 140 G's on the side of the house on 111 East. I'm in where I come from. Call me Skrilla where I come from. It's a whole gang of killing where I come from. Ain't no telling who's snitching where I come from. No parole, I'm free. So this is what I was thinking as I as I listened to this record while I was driving into the office today. I'm like, G Perico, and I don't who who made the beat on this record because I wasn't looking at the liner um, notes. Casey Khalil. Casey Khalil, yeah. Okay, so G Perico and Casey Khalil are in the studio or whatever. And it's like, we're going to make a Jeep Rico record right now. Line up, boom, boom, chuk, chuk. Mm-hmm. And then let's throw the loop from running by the far side on top of that. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like <laughs> the heaviest drum track in the world. Yeah. And then one of the great all-time, I don't know what you would call it, it was a hit record, so it's hard to call it an underground record. Bro, that's but, amazing. That's a timeless classic never ages never gets sounds new every time you listen to it that's like i think that's more than a hit that record that is like an awesome that's in my playlist that play like daily when i listen when i do my jam sessions that's an amazing song far side running running and passing me by those are two amazing like it's beyond because i think uh with music, you got hit records, right? Songs that deemed hits. And then two years later, three years later, it's like you don't want to hear it. It don't feel new anymore. It was then. And then you got records like that. That's just like, you could just play it anytime. Ten years from now, that song is still going to be amazing. The Far Side record that I love the most is a Fat Lip solo single. That I don't know. I think it was for an album that never ended up coming out, but maybe it did come out. Called "What's Up, Fat Lip," and What's up, Fat Lip? it's probably five or seven years after they were really making hits, and it's just Fat Lip talking about being sad and nobody giving a shit about him. <laughs> um, you you feel like that in this sometimes, definitely. The video is like a Spike Jones video where Fat Lip is dressed up in a clown suit and he's just wandering around. Like, just regular, like, on the street, like, the actual street, just looking sad. And just at one point, this little kid comes up and kicks him in the <laughs> It's amazing video. Amazing video. I gotta video. check that out. Yeah, gotta check that <laughs> that's out. off topic, though. <laughs> nah, that's dope. That's actually... I mean, the feeling that I had when I, w- when I heard that Far Side Loop in that song was, like, there was a time very early on in Kanye West becoming a famous rapper. He was already a famous producer, but early on in him becoming a famous rapper where I think it was him in Consequence rapped over the beat from Souls of Mischief's 93 Till Infinity. That's another amazing and song, like, bro. I love that song. I'm from the Bay Area, right? So that was like, you know, there's like five five songs that are perfect forever. You know, the Five On It remix and that, you know what I mean? Come on. And hearing them rap on that beat, I was like, oh, like, 
if you're from LA, like running is the 93 till infinity yeah. of LA, right? Like that is like the perfect, beautiful rap song. Like there's plenty of other great classic yeah. LA rap songs of other kinds. But when it comes to a, a record that's beautiful, that's it. That's like a home record. Yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. I love the uh, Souls of Mischief. I did a high road there a few years ago too. They call. I was surprised when they called me for that. And I'm like, damn, y'all know who I am. Hieroglyphics have like a festival in Oakland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was dope. Let me ask you this: We talked a little bit about that feeling of always looking over your shoulder. Yeah. How do you sleep? I mean, like, how is your sleep? Like, honestly. Like, I don't really sleep like that. And I don't even think about it. I get lost more in the work and the art. You know what I mean? But it's like, sometimes it's hard to just sit there and just, like, I got to really make myself exhausted to go to sleep. You know what I mean? Otherwise, I'd just be tossing and turning and won't sleep well and just be thinking about a lot of stuff. So, you know, I... um. I try to keep a lot of, try to just do a, as much work as I can, you know what I mean, to replace that. Like me, like, oh, my God, I can't sleep, so I won't be stressing about that and worried about that, you know what I mean? I remember my dad was in war and was uh, had serious post-traumatic stress disorder. And when he was in his 50s, he went to Laos where the aircraft carrier he was on had bombed. And worked with people who had been displaced within Laos by the bombing and still weren't able to return home because of the bombs that were still there. And the thing that I remember him telling me was not like, I'm cured. You know what I mean? He had been working on his PTSD at that point for 35 years and there was no cure per se. But I remember him telling me, you know what? I slept through the night. Like, that was victory to him, was I yeah. slept through the night. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it definitely gets heavy. Especially when you, man. I was just thinking about it the other night. And you know, it's crazy. Like, when everything was going on and I was living a life, bro, I never cried one time. Like, about nothing. Like, and then, like, recently, like, I just catch myself just, you know what I mean? Just crying, it's crazy. Like, you know what I mean? But I, I don't, I don't know if that's a sign of healing, or since that's like a popular word these days, like mental health and healing is like super popular word. So I don't know what's that a sign of, but um, I just accept it, man. You know, just been thinking about life and just everything that's going on, and um, I guess it's like just, you know, just finally um. I don't know, my mind finally um, just getting past the, like, too hard, tough. We just bury it deep up in there and finally just letting it out. And um, I think it's going to start showing in my music, too, because now I'm um, I'm fine with Because I got so much to talk about, bro, and so many different stories and so much relatable stuff, like, that the world could relate to, you know, as it just looking at everything from an overall perspective. And, um, like, I I'm starting to feel comfortable 
with talking about this on music. You know what I mean? Just being vulnerable. So that's a good thing, you know? Well, G. Perico, I'm so grateful to you for taking this time to talk to me and for being so frank. It was really great to get to meet you, and I, I love your records. Man, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Now I ain't going to quit. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> G. Perico, everyone. His newest record is called Play to Win. It's available to stream or purchase online now. He's also released several other records this year. I have to say that I think that L.A. Summers, which is entirely produced by a producer named Dupree, uh, is one of the best rap records I've heard in the last few years. I just have been listening to it over and over. But like I said, all these G records that have come out this year are real strong. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created in the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. We're here at my house. I have to time all of my recordings around the uh, the regular passing of the ice cream truck. Um, and unfortunately, it's not because I'm running outside to get ice cream. It's that the song it plays is super loud. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producer is Jesus Ambrosio. I used to be a bomb pop guy, but they have itsits at this uh, ice cream truck. So when I do run out, I, I usually end up dropping the dough on an itsit. Anyway, production fellows at Maximum Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. The other day I went to a movie about Burt Reynolds with Dan Wally. He told me about a record come up in San Diego. Good guy, Dan Wally. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for sharing it with us. You can keep up with our show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post all our interviews there. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.